Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. First, I want to just introduce myself. If you don't know me, my name is Jimmy. One of my main roles at New Day is to lead the Wellspring School, which is a ministry school that we do um, at all three campuses. Luke and Shanna actually went through it this past year, and so they'll be hosting one this fall at New Day Vandalia, which is going to be really cool. If you have never heard, or if you want to, you'll find out more in the coming months about what Wellspring is, but that's something that I'm personally involved in and love to do. Uh, and so, just wanted to say that, introduce myself a little bit in case you're like, who's this guy? Where's Mark? By the way, Mark sends his love. Mark is preaching at Nichols this morning, and I told him I would tell you that he sent, he didn't ask me to say that, but I'm just saying it. He sends his love. So, just so you know. I wanted to show a video real quick, but before I do, how many remember the bless a neighbor, bless a nation thing we did, where there was grocery bags all over the walls, and, and so what we did last year, about a year ago, was we raised as a church $36,000, uh, $6,000 was, was for groceries locally at all three New Day campuses, we, we filled bags of groceries, and then we went, and each of us were able to hand out groceries to people in our community. And then $30,000 was actually raised to send to a ministry called Kaleo International. Kaleo International is a global ministry, mainly in Mexico and different countries in Africa. Uh, But Kaleo is led by this guy named Josh Muse, who's next to Pastor Cameron on the screen. And so so from that $30,000 that we raised last year to send to Kaleo, they were able to do a couple things. One was uh, plant, buy a, a whole ministry complex in Kenya. And another thing was, was have a, a missionary training school in Mexico. So Cameron, Pastor Cameron and, and one of our leaders at Nichols named Graham McCaig went two weeks ago to uh, Reynosa, Mexico to teach at their school that happened in part because of the money that we sent them. So it's really cool. This is a video of Pastor Cameron and Josh uh, so let's take a listen here. Miraculous way for believing. Oh. Incredible way for you guys. Thank you. I'm going to restart this. This happened to be right in the middle of it. Thank you so much. How do I do that? Let's go. Okay, this might work. We love you. We're praying for you. Thank you. Oh. Somehow it won't let me. It's only a minute long. Okay. I think it's restarted now. Cameron of down in uh, Reynosa, Mexico, with Josh Hughes, and I just asked Josh to say a few words to you. Hi, New Day Church. Uh, my name is Josh. We're here in Mexico. Uh, we're so thankful to you, number one, for sending Pastor Cameron down here. Thank you for letting us borrow your pastor for this week. He's been an incredible blessing ministering to leaders. Uh, our ministry is in different parts of Mexico, and he's been with us in different areas. Uh, we're just so grateful for you and just really praying for you guys and just praying really that God would bring tremendous increase in every area and that the goals that you guys have set as a church body uh, would be that God would begin to fulfill an incredible and really miraculous way losing my English miraculous way for believing for incredible increase for you guys thank you so much we love you and we're praying for you thank you Josh and thank you New Day Community Church for 
being the great church you are. I'll see you soon. God bless you. Goodbye. Okay, so yes, short little video from Pastor Cameron. And uh, go forward. What's happening? I'm just trying to advance. There we go. I'm off the video. No more attack stuff. So the reason we showed that video, what he, he talked about the goals that we have. One of, the, one of the big things that we're doing around here over the next several years is this thing called 320 and Beyond. And, and I wanted to try to couch that in the bigger vision. At New Day, we, we really care about planning churches, about raising and multiplying disciples and raising up leaders. Those are all things that, that we're trying to do on a, on a regular basis. And so a part of that, a strategy to do that in a more impactful way is this thing we're calling 320 and Beyond. The first first turn of the page in this, in this, um, this three-year goal to raise a million and a half dollars for different reasons is, is to pay off the Nichols mortgage. Uh, and so just to give you a, uh, uh, some updates, in the past three or four months as a church, we've raised nearly $150,000. Uh, so that's, that's, almost, that's over 10% of our overall three-year goal. We've raised that much in a couple months to be able to pay off the Nichols mortgage, which when that happens, the fifteen, sixteen hundred dollars rolls right back into that. It frees up that money to go back into the three twenty and beyond, uh, so that we can re- get closer to the to the goal of of, of the of the three year push, which will which is all in the under the banner of planting churches, raising up disciples, and raising up leaders to impact the kingdom. And so, in two weeks on 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 November, or November on. Uh, what will be March 18th, we're having a, a, just a, 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 a particular time of giving to try to pay off the mortgage by March 20th. Special offering is the phrase. So on March 18th, we're having a special offering for that purpose. So it's in two weeks. Uh, just be praying for that. We really are excited about being able to burn the mortgage. Hopefully, I was trying to convince Cameron to make a video of himself doing that. So we may have the privilege of watching that. Um, but just wanted to give that update. For you all. Okay, transition. Well, now we're in the sermon for us. So, how many of you like to be told what to do? Okay. What's that? Okay, cool. So, it depends, right? In general, again, in general, but if you said, how many say no in a general sense to that? Like the impulse of being told what to do. How many recoil at that? Right? A little bit like, don't tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do, but I don't want you to tell me what to do. The moment you tell me what to do, there's something in me that says, like, no, I don't want to do that. Um, Pastor Anthony wrote an exhortation on the back of the bulletin. This week, and you probably, I mean, you may have not had a chance to read it if you just got the bulletin, but it's a, it's a great analogy of, uh, of, of ways that we yield in traffic, right? This, this is a picture of what it looks like when we don't yield. I don't know how they ever got out of this mess. This just seems like I would hate to be involved in this. But, but as, we, as we drive, anyone who has a life, anyone who drives, we have, we just, where we've been taught all sorts of ways that it's necessary and beneficial to us to yield. Right? You yield at the, at the stop sign. You're stopping because 
Even though you're in a hurry, even though you're on your way somewhere, you know that this is what I need to do. Or you, I don't know if you have roundabouts around here, but there's roundabouts, and even then, sometimes there's a confusion. Do I, do I yield? I could come to a complete stop? Do I just kind of, no one's coming? So there's a little bit of confusion in that sense, but overall, we understand that, that there's, a, there's a process of yielding that's involved by the law, by the authority over us, that says this is what you're supposed to do. When it comes to relationships, it's a little bit less uh, firm. We can kind of resist and recoil a little bit more. We'd, we'd, we'd probably not run a red light unless, I mean, I don't know your, I don't know the way you drive, but, but in relationship, there's, there's a little bit more of a resistance to yielding. And, and so, just with that in mind, we are today going to be looking at this idea of what it means to yield. What it means to yield to God, particularly. Uh, so, as a part of this Journey to Easter series, we started, Pastor Mark had the first two weeks with engage community and notice God. Now, in the third week, we're calling us to, to yield to God. What does that mean? And how do we do that? So, in Journey to Easter, we're trying to ask, we're trying to answer two questions. One, how does the, the thing of the week, how does the topic of the week point to the cross? How does it point to Jesus? And the second one is, how, does it, how is it formed or strengthened in the context of community? How is yielding strengthened or formed or fortified by doing life on life together? In, in this week, that second question is going to be kind of left to the life groups, midweek life groups, to, to, to really wrestle with and figure out. Today, we want to focus largely on how does, what, is it, what, is it, what was the life of Jesus in, in terms of yielding? What does is, what is Jesus' posture of yielding show us about who he is, and how does it point to the cross? So, we're going to do that this morning by, by looking at Matthew 26. So, if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and Put your finger in that page, Matthew 26, starting in verse 31. To give a little background, Matthew 26, Jesus has, he has just had the last supper with the disciples. Judas has already went to the Pharisees and said, hey, how much money can I get to betray him? Jesus is already pretty point blank called out Judas and said, you are, you will betray me. So, in this part of the scene, it's pretty clear that maybe Judas has left. There's 11 disciples left. And Jesus, they finish the Last Supper, they sing a hymn, and then Jesus takes them into the Garden of Gethsemane. So we'll start there. First is a map, in case you are interested. Gethsemane is is this, uh, this little garden on the foothills of the Mount of Olives, which is the west of the city of Jerusalem. And so they're somewhere in, in a, uh, having a meal together for the Last Supper, and they walk west of the city through the valley of Kindred to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's a little bit of a walk, and they get there. So it starts like this. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Bible, whichever version you're reading from. Hopefully you can track along. So starting in verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, 
I will strike down the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. But Peter said to him, Even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you that this very night, before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. All the disciples said the same thing too. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, who are James and John, and began to be grieved and distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch with me. And he went a little beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping, and said to Peter, So you men could not keep watch with me for one hour? Keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away again a second time and prayed, saying, My father, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. Again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. And he left them again and went away and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let us be going. Behold, the one who betrays me is at hand. This is the word of the Lord. So, there's a lot of things going on here. A lot of imagery, a lot of, a lot of things we could try to unpack and, 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 and look at. And I don't know if you've ever heard this, but every, <laughs> I mean, every, every sermon is, is heretical by omission, by what it doesn't say. There's so much you could say in every given text. So what we want to look at today is just three things that we see in Jesus and two things that we see in the disciples that, can, that we can try to unpack and, and relate to and, and ask questions about. So what do we see in this passage? In Jesus, among other things, we see real grief. He says, my soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. If, if Jesus is supposed to be, and he is, the one who restores full humanity to us, if he's supposed to be fully human, fully alive, and he's, he shows us what it means to, to live a fully human life, restored to the fullness of God, he shows us that grief is appropriate when faced with death. Like we, we can kind of hyper-spiritualize this, and we'll look at it in a couple weeks, what, what it means to lament and how the place of lament is an is, is a, is a important aspect of the Christian life. But just to point out, Jesus grieved and recoiled at the thought of death. Death is talked about in Scripture as the last enemy. <laughs> there's, there's not, there's not, death isn't flippant. It's not this thing that just kind of is like, ah, oh, that's a bummer. 
This, Jesus recognizes the seriousness of what's happening, and he's deeply grieved. He's weighed down. He's sorrowful to the point of death when faced with it. So what does that mean for the way that we process grief? There can often be this shame associated with grief that we want to do in isolation because we're dis, we, want to, we want to disconnect from community because we don't feel that it's appropriate or we don't feel that it's allowed or we don't feel that really there's a, there's a conversation to be had and the, and the more I can distance myself and just kind of get through this valley of grief and the quicker I can do that, the, more, the, the quicker I can enter back into, into community. That's just completely wrong. Jesus shows us real grief in His humanness. And He's fully God and fully man. Even in His divinity, He grieves. The second thing we can point to in Jesus is that there's a real expression of desire. Right? This is a, he has this dialogue with God as He prays in the Garden of Gethsemane. And He starts with, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. How many of us feel this, this does, like, recognize at least that when we pray, we, we almost want to just start with what we, what we think God wants to hear? Like, I am feeling things and I'm, I'm not happy, but, but I, I know, God, what you say, so I'll just start there and, and try to work myself into this place of of just saying what I know is true by the Bible. We see Jesus starts in a place of, I don't want this to happen. Like if, there's, if, there's, if this is possible, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Just the scene before, he's telling his disciples, this is the covenant in my blood. Drink this cup. It's the covenant in my blood, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. He knows that he knows what's coming. He knows the cross is, is imminent more than ever in this at this point in his life. Oops. And that and yet there's a real expression of I would if there can be any other way, I would rather not this happen. If it is possible, let this cut pass for me. Do we give ourselves permission to be honest with God? Do we give ourselves permission to wherever we're at? Whether we're in a valley or on a mountain, do we give ourselves permission to say, hey God, this is where I'm at. Like this, this is currently where I'm at. Just so you know, God has the capacity to handle wherever you are. Like you don't need to get yourself to a place before you, you approach God in prayer. I hope, hope that can bring some sort of comfort, some sort of sigh of relief. God already, God already knows, by the way. God already knows where you are. And so there's, there's this deception we can fall into where, oh, I need, to, I need to get to a certain place. But listen, God already knows. We can come to Him with the real expression of desire wherever we're at. Third thing we can look to here is that through prayer, I'll just read it. Jesus goes through a real process of yielding through prayer. What is, what is prayer except for a, a recognition of utter dependence? A prayer is a posture of, God, you are Lord. Like, I am submitting to you and, and, and looking to you because you are the one who's in control. You are the one who is greater than I. So this yielding that we're talking about happens through prayer. 
Look at the progression here in Jesus' words. It's subtle, but it's, I think it's significant. He starts his prayer with, yet not as I will, but as you will. The next time he, comes, he goes to the disciples, he sees them sleeping, he talks to them, he comes back. He says, if this cannot pass away unless I drink it, your will be done. He goes to the disciples, finds them sleeping, doesn't even wake them up the second time. Comes back and uh, prays. It doesn't say exactly. He says, it says he prayed the same thing once more, third time. But then he says, Behold, the hour is at hand. Get up. Let us be going. So the progression that we kind of see is, I don't want this to happen. And he says, I'm willing for this to happen. And then he says, Okay, let's go. God, God had given him his will. God had given him his heart as he process. This, I mean, the night season that Jesus is in, we, it was a couple hours, maybe. So it was a period of time. It wasn't ten minutes. But it was, it was a period of time that as he's praying and, and talking to God and, and just working it out, he, he moves from a place of, I don't want this to happen, to say, all right, let's, let's go. Let's get up. My betrayer is at hand. He doesn't, even, he doesn't just wait for them to come and find He doesn't like hide behind some bushes in the garden to wait for them to come and find them. He goes to them. He recognizes that the Father's will is, has allowed him to stand up and face what he doesn't even want to happen with the full dignity of recognizing that God has a better plan. The yielding is producing something better in him. The will of God. So there's a few things we see in Jesus. Next we want to look at what do we see in the disciples? Namely Peter. uh, Because Peter's the only one named in this scene. So, I, I included the first section because we see... I mean, a genuine, real determination from Peter. Right? Jesus tells him what's going to happen. And he says, no. Even if all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. I am determined. I am resolved. How many of us make determinations or resolutions, whether it's at the new year or just kind of you recognize that you have an issue and you're like, I'm, no, I am determined to not let this happen. Okay, right? This is a, this is a, and determination is so helpful. Determination is, is a fundamental part of what it means to, to be human. Determination is, has done so much for humanity and for the, for the human race. Like, We've accomplished, I mean, collective we have accomplished a lot through determining to do it, fighting through resistance, fighting through things that want to push us down, picking ourselves back up, and keep, and we keep going. We determine. We don't let anything else stop us. There's something valuable and necessary about the human heart that allows us to persevere and and be determined. Peter says, even though all may fall away because of you, I will never fall away. We also see in this, in this scene we looked at that determination is not enough. We see, 
a real inability to stay awake. Right? Like this is, this is what he tells them to do. Remain here and keep watch with me. Keep watch is, is a more uh, nuanced understanding. The word itself is just stay awake. Just be awake. Just be alive and attentive. When it, when it gets a little deeper, it's keep watch, be alert, be diligent. There's a, there's a deeper sense to it, but in a basic sense, it's just, just, just don't fall asleep. Just stay awake. That's what you're told to do. And there's something in the disciples where it's like, yeah, we can relate. Right? We, you're watching a movie, right? And you just, there's something that just like, something calming. We, we can fall asleep. We're really so I've been wrestling with this, right? Why did, they, why did they fall asleep? Why did these disciples fall asleep? Was it... So there's a couple of different things. Like they, they just had a really big meal for Passover. So that's, that's, that's sedation right there. <clears throat> and, and then there's, just like, there's this heaviness about Jesus, and it's kind of stressful. And it's like... Oh, I, I just can't take, this is too much. And it's the middle of the night. It's a time to be sleeping. And so they fall asleep. So there's that, but the other, the, there's also something like deeper. There's something more comprehensive about their inability to stay awake. And, and I think I'm, I'm, I'm becoming more and more convinced that, that what this is, this is pointing to a, an aspect of the human condition. That we have an inability in and of ourselves to stay awake. That there's something even about our own ability when it, come, when it relates to, to God that, that we're like, we're resistant and we repel the very thing we're told to do. We see this throughout Scripture. That God says, do this. And they go and do the, do the opposite. God says, don't do this thing. And then there's just like, I just, I just really want to do that thing. Like, you can think of Moses and the Ten Commandments and the Israelites at the bottom of the, of the mountain. They, they're told, don't worship idols. And then there's, there's a little bit of distance. Moses goes back up and, and, they, and they, they create a golden calf and they worship it. We see in this scene a very similar thing. Jesus says, stay awake, stay here and, and pray. And then he says, he goes a little farther. So for some reason, Jesus... He, he, he brings the three with him, but then he, he goes a little bit farther and, and he's out of sight. Right? He's, he's not with them. He, say, he says, keep watch with me, but he, but he goes a little bit farther. So they're supposed to be with him in spirit, joining with him in the same heart, but they're not with him. He, he had removed himself to be alone to pray to God. And so as soon as, as, soon as he's out of sight, he's out of mind and, and a deep sleep. I just a, there's this sometimes I just want to fall asleep. I need I'm tired. I need to I need to fall asleep. And again, I just there's something about the the human condition that that resists and, and is is drawn to the very opposite of what God says to do. And so Peter says, "I will never fall away." Jesus says, "Stay awake." And the next, the next thing we see is that Peter's falling asleep. Oh, jeez. Happened again. So here's, here's what we want to look at. 
Jesus knew who he was asking to keep watch. The first, the first verse we looked at says, says it. Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. This didn't necessarily catch Jesus off guard, even though he goes back to them three times and, and says, Why can't you stay awake? Like, why is it that you keep falling asleep? He, he knew because of what, what scriptures had told him. He knew for a variety of reasons that, that, this, that they were all going to fall away. Zechari- or, uh, yeah, I think it's Zechariah 13 where, that, that he's quoting where it says, I will strike down the shepherd and the sheep of the flock shall be scattered. This is, this is pointing to the, the very fact of our own inability through, through determination alone, to keep the command of God. To do what God says. Jesus knew who He was asking to keep watch. And yet, He still asked. What I want to point out here is just the fact that there's, there's still a personal responsibility for them to stay awake. Like they, they don't just get to... Say, hey, well, you told me I was going to fall away. Like you told me that I, I wasn't going to be able to stay awake in a sense. So, so I'm not responsible for falling asleep. Like he still holds them to it. He doesn't distance themselves from it. He's patient with them, in a sense, as he continues to come back. And he doesn't say, hey, you guys fell asleep, the very thing I told you not to do. I'm going to go over to my betrayer. And, and, and you, guys are, you guys have already... Walked away. You've already betrayed. You've already fallen asleep. He holds them responsible, but yet he he allows them to remain with him and, and in their own way walk away. Peter. Well, we see Peter's story a little bit more clearly, where the, the the slave girl or the servant at the house of Caiaphas goes up to him and and uh, he says, "No, I don't know. I don't know Jesus." We we see Peter's story a little more closely, but they all had their own story. They all had their own way of denying Jesus. They all had their own way of walking away as, as the story unfolds as Jesus goes towards the cross. He still asked, and he, he, said, yeah, he said, keep watch with me. So there's a responsibility here. What we want to point out and just sit with for a while is the thought that Jesus is the yielded one. Like, so often, we want to jump ahead and say, what do I need to do? Like, how can I do what he did? And that's, there's, there's, there, I, there's something, like, that's important. It's, there's, a, there's an aspect of Jesus. Jesus lives the life we, were, we should have lived but could not. And then he gives us his Holy Spirit. He forgives us. He empowers us and enables us to live the life and look like him and live the life that he lived. But before we get there, we're, we're calling this journey to Easter, right? And we just want to look at Jesus. We just, want to, we just want to look at him and say that in our inability to stay awake, Jesus stays awake. Right? In our inability to yield to the will of God, in, an, in, our, in our own ability, Jesus yields to the will of God. 
Where Jesus prays, not my will, but yours be done. Our will is to fall asleep. And, and God's will is for Him to stay awake. So, so Jesus is the one that yields His life. And as quick as we want to ask, well, how can I, how can I do that? What, what do I need to do to, to yield my life? Or, or, or better yet, how can I have the same disposition and determination to do the same thing? But, but we already saw that determination is not enough. Like it's not about just strapping on a, a good dose of, I'm going to do it, and, and, and carving your own path. There's, there's something deeper here where we see that, that Jesus is a representative of, of all humanity, in, in, in all of our inabilities to yield to God. And our resistance of what He wants us to do. In our, in our having our own way. Like the, one of the most common refrains of the Israelites in the Old Testament is that they were hard-hearted and stubborn. That they were stiff-necked. Like we can, If we read through the Old Testament and say, how can they do that? God was right there. We're missing the point. Like that's a that's a that's a appraisal of the human condition. Like we're all stiff-necked. We're all hard-hearted. We all have a propensity to 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 not listen and to go our own way and to have our own will. That's 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 the Israelites are showing us what it looks like to be human. But yet they're they're still responsible for their for their misbehavior, we see very detailed account of, of their responsibility to their, their idolatry. And God deals very strictly and harshly with them because this is what I told you to do. But we see, the, we see it play out where they, there's, this, there's a hard heart, there's a stiff neck. There's a stubbornness that's just rooted into the human heart that resists the will of God. It resists submission. And Jesus shows us not just what it looks like to yield so that we can go and do likewise, but He yields on our behalf. He yields for us. So we want to we just look at Him. And not jump too quickly to say, well, well how, can I, how can I do that? Because the Christian life is sustained in a posture of yielding. It's not that you, you yield to God in salvation and then, you, and then He gives you His Spirit and then you go and, and, and have your way. Like, the constant position is one of, of have your way. The constant position is one of is dying to yourself, dying to your own will, dying to your own way, saying, God, rot, ring, do something in me that, that, that's so much more than just me saying, I want to do better, try harder, be a good, be a good little boy, a little good little girl. There's a there's a there's something about being found and rooted in Christ. Like Jesus is the yielded one. And we, we, we find ourselves in Him by yielding to Him. We, we, we receive the benefits of His, of his yielding. And we, we, we're sustained in our Christian life through a posture of, 
of yielding. Through a posture of Jesus, have, have your way. It starts there. Like that's, that's, that's where this whole thing starts. That's where this whole following Jesus starts. It's just is a yielding of my will to God's will. Right? We understand tra- we understand how, how traffic works. We we yield to the one who's above us, even if we don't understand it completely. We know that 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 there's a there's a way this thing works, and it's for my good to yield to the system. In a in a in a unbelievably greater way, we yield to the one who we submit to. When we, say, when we say Lord, that very language is one of submission. It's one of yielding. It's one of saying, Have your, you are my Lord. You're not just my Savior where, where you, you forgive me and you redeem me, but you're my Lord and I position myself under you in every aspect of my life that you would have your way. That doesn't, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that, that we're immobilized by the thought of, I just want the will of God so no, I can't even move. I can't even, I can't even, ha- I can't even do anything. Like, there's, there's freedom in the sense that we, we can follow God and know through His Word as we discover more of His Word that we can understand His will and live it clearly. But we need to stay in a posture of... I am utterly dependent on Jesus in every, in every aspect of my life. And I, I, we want to stay in a, in a place of, of yieldedness not just out of our own determination, but recognize that Jesus is the yielded one. Jesus is the one who has yielded his life, who has yielded... Thank you, God. He's, he's yielded his, his desires. He's yielded his, his heart. He lived in the tension of a fully God and fully man, tempted in every way we are, but without sin. Right? He, he yielded himself, and we, we need to find ourselves in him. As we, as we journey to Easter, we want to just look. We want to just gaze on Jesus. That's what we're doing. We just want to look at him and see that he's the one who's yielded. So that's where, that's where I want to leave us. Like, like I, don't, I don't even want to, I'm, I'm prone to say, now go, like, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do now. But I just want to just say, let's just, Jesus is the one who's yielded. Jesus is the one. How do we, we need to find ourselves in him. Hidden in Christ. Hidden in the one who's yielded. That's the only way that this thing is lived out, is, is that we're hidden in the one who's done it. So, Father, we just, we just stop there. We say thank you, Jesus, for yielding yourself. Even when we are unfaithful, you remain faithful for that is who you are. We want to find ourselves hidden in Christ who is the yielded one, who is the one who lives... Uh, in the fullness of, of God's command. Full obedience. Full surrender. We just gaze on Jesus. And recognize that He, it's only Him. 
It's all Jesus, all the time. Mm-hmm. Father, I pray this week, uh, as we, those who are able to go to life groups can, can unpack further what it means and how, and how, uh, how living a life of submission, life of yieldedness is strengthened and actually enhanced through community, through doing this thing together. And we pray that, uh, God, that we would be able to simply look at Jesus. Look at all He's done. Look at the life that He lived, that we were supposed to live but could not. Look at the, the death He died, that we deserve to die. He died in our place. Father, help us simply to look at Jesus. To yield to Him. That from within that place, we would, a, a heart would spring up that simply says, Have your way, God. Have your way in my life. Not my will, but yours. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen.